0: Welcome to the Muscles and Veggies Fitness Podcast. My name is Zach. This is where you get nutrition, health, fitness, performance, all perfectly packaged together in a bite-sized podcast to help educate and motivate you to stay on your fitness journey. Did you ever hear about a gluten-free diet 20, 25 years ago when we were kids? I didn't. Today's show is on the top five signs that someone should avoid gluten or wheat. Now, when people commonly come to me in the gym, they get started on a personal training plan. One of the first things I do is I encourage them to do what's called the Whole30, or uh, basically an elimination diet. And one of the reasons why I like to do that is because I would like to take whatever potential client this is, And I like to take them off of anything that could be causing inflammation in their body. And it works great as a personal trainer. I'll tell you why. Because usually in the first 30 days, if they really stick to this, or even if they stick to it like 80 to 90%, they'll drop 5 or 10 pounds of weight in that first 30 days. Why is that? Is that body fat? No, it's not. It's not that uh, they just started exercising with me and they're dropping that much weight. What are they dropping? Well, they're dropping water weight due to a decrease of inflammation. Well, one of the biggest drivers, I could argue, of inflammation, not for all people, but for some people, is gluten or gliadin, the protein that is in wheat. So these are the top five signs that I wanted to get out to my listeners and to my clients that we should avoid gluten. And this was actually based off of a study that's on PubMed.com. PubMed is the national database of scientific and medical literature. They publish all clinical research trials for our doctors and scientists to read on anything you can possibly think about. You can type it in there and, and, and you it will populate studies based on that. Well, this particular study was the top five Uh, symptoms of a gluten sensitivity. And this is what they found. But first, this is the way that you can support this show. I'm going to give you three ways. I like giving people options. The first way, if you like what you're hearing and you want to support the show, pause the episode, go to Google, type in Muscles and Veggies Fitness. When my Google Places account pops up, click on Reviews Leave me a review. Tell me what you think of the show. I don't care if you're in Australia or you're here in the U.S. or you're here at Ozark Iron Gym where I train. Leave me a review. That helps people find my podcast, but also my personal training. I deeply appreciate that. The second way, you can go to Facebook. If you don't have a Google account, you can go to Facebook and you can leave me a review on my Facebook page, Muscles and Veggies Fitness. And then lastly, as every podcaster says, You can leave me a review on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podcast Addict, uh, whatever player you're listening on uh, right now. So please, that does me a huge favor uh, for putting out this time and information uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes twice a week, like this week. So these are the top five signs to avoid gluten sensitivity. Number one, brain fog. So when I say brain fog, what I mean by that is You're going through your day, and you just feel like you're not cognitively sharp. You're forgetting things. You're forgetting where you put things. Uh, This primarily happens in the afternoon, especially after lunch that has gluten in it, uh, or a lot of grains and breads and things like pastas, things like that at lunch, and you just feel like, man, I'm just not as sharp as I was first thing in the morning in my morning work. And that's what I noticed back in 2015 when I went gluten-free, I just noticed in the afternoon, man, I was just sluggish and my brain just didn't work properly. And I noticed big time that I had this brain fog going on. Number two is depression. Okay. Depression in the study, they said that it was basically a, a, high, a high symptom of gluten sensitivity. And one of the reasons why is because I don't know if you knew this or not, but we produce in the gut 5 HTP. You may have seen that supplement at supplement stores, but 5-hydroxytryptophan is the amino acid tryptophan, and we convert that into 5-HTP. 5-HTP is then converted into serotonin, and serotonin is the neurotransmitter in our brain that regulates our mood, okay? And this is why when someone's depressed. Uh, they will give them, conventional medicine will give them Paxil and Zoloft and what are what are called serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Now, uh, before I say what I'm about to say, I just want people to know that I'm not against SSRI drugs. Um, and I, I think there's a time and a place if someone's suicidal, absolutely, they need to be on a, an SSRI drug acutely. But um, in the long term, I could make the argument that If we could decrease inflammation in the gut, like eliminating dairy and gluten, if it's a sensitivity for that individual, they would produce more 5-HTP. Therefore, they wouldn't have to take an SSRI drug and be reliant on that, which, by the way, has its own list of side effects that comes with it. One of the primary ones that I've found in my personal training practice over the last 10 years is that uh, it causes weight gain, okay? So... And then more weight gain leads to more depression because people don't feel as good about themselves, okay? So uh, that's what number two is depression. And that was found to be a high source of gluten sensitivity, brain fog and depression, number one and number two. Number three, sleep disorders. This makes sense when you talk about number two, which is depression because 5-HTP, it converts to serotonin, serotonin at the end of the day is not wasted serotonin is converted into melatonin melatonin therefore helps us go through our sleep cycles at night so someone who's low in 5-htp because they have a screwed up gut they're low in serotonin also means they're low in melatonin which causes insomnia wakefulness trouble falling asleep trouble waking up wake up very groggy These are all things that I found back in 2015. Um, Like one of the primary things, I was gluten-free for like two weeks, right? Um, Woke up and it's like, man, I just feel like I wake up so much easier. I'm not like wiping the sleep out of my eyes for 15 minutes and I got to drink two cups of coffee and yada, yada, yada. I just felt like uh, I was getting up so much lighter and more energetic and not so swollen, puffy and inflamed, which we're going to talk about here in a second. So that's my number three is sleep disorders number four is digestive dysfunction and this is probably the most obvious you know you you hear so many people with uh, the diagnosis of ibs especially in the united states which is the leader leading country in ibs by the way Um, but digest digestive dysfunction could come in the form of uh, acid reflux bloating gas diarrhea constipation Um, you know any of these things are are part of digestive dysfunction and this makes sense because we have to talk about gliadin the protein that's found in wheat is very hard to digest but uh, gluten which is that that is gliadin basically they add more gluten in the factories to most processed foods because it stretches the flour even farther uh, than normal so this exacerbates digestive dysfunction we're going to talk more about that here in a second. So I don't want to jump too far ahead. And then of course, number five is joint pain. And I just did a whole episode on just joint pain. It was about three or four episodes ago uh, that you can look back and find that one. But joint pain is basically a signal that we have high inflammation. And this could be from overuse, of course, but it can also be uh, from Mm. a food intolerance or food sensitivity. Now, uh, joint pain was something I noticed when I went gluten-free right off the bat. Uh, my hands were less swollen. Uh, I used to wonder why every morning I would wake up and my rings were like, if I wore a ring, it was just super tight on my fingers. And then through the day, uh, it would just get looser and looser. Well, that's a that's a good sign that your body is fighting some sort of inflammation. And let's face it, uh, stress raises inflammation alone. But the primary source of inflammation are, is the things that we're consuming in the body. This could be sugar, alcohol, dairy, wheat, um, you know, eggs, almonds. These are the top kind of five offenders on food allergy testing when we, when we food allergy test clients. Um, not to say that all those things are bad, including gluten, uh, but we have to be self-aware and figure out what are the drivers, what are my triggers of inflammation and and me personally when i did an elimination diet with gluten and i added it back in it was very easy to see that um immediately the the symptoms i had came right back and that was the that was the definitive answer for me that i had to give up gluten at least on like a um a permanent basis but only having it here and there maybe even only on accident if that makes sense so Uh, those five things, brain fog, depression, and or anxiety, sleep disorders, digestive dysfunction, and joint pain. Those are the five things that the study highlighted that were the the number of top uh, top five offenders for gluten gluten intolerance. Man, I can't talk today. Anyways, try an elimination diet uh, for 30 days. Monitor your inflammation levels. You can do this um, just like Kind of anecdotally, like I talked about monitoring the way clothes fit, monitoring the, your rings on your fingers, joint pain. Does your depression get better? Does brain fog go away in the afternoons? Do you sleep better? Do you wake up lighter? How's your digestion? How's your joint pain? Monitor these things. Because if you notice improvements without it, that's a clear sign that your body's trying to send you the signal that uh, you could do better without um, a constant source of gluten in your everyday diet. Uh, the other thing you can do is if uh, you're getting ready to go run labs, like with your doctor, is get a CRP. Ask your doctor to run C reactive protein. A CRP blood test is a great marker of inflammation. And I commonly see over and over again on blood labs, uh, c- clients. Um, CRP would improve it would go down their levels of inflammation would go down by giving up gluten but here's the caveat it's like Zach you know wheat has been used for thousands of years it's in the bible even as a good food how can it be bad for us well the simple answer to that is man has changed wheat okay so wheat in its original form its whole grain form um, you know, thousands of years ago, we could make the argument of a few different things, but but primarily that man had not screwed it up. Okay, so how has man screwed up wheat? Well, in 1964, glyphosate was patented, and it later became Roundup, and it was patented as an herbicide and a, a mineral chelator, basically. But in 1974, farmers started spraying corn, oats, soy, and wheat with glyphosate. Why did they do that? Well, they figured out that glyphosate was a desiccant. And a desiccant basically meant that it dried out the wheat very fast. So normally, I don't know if many farmers listen to this podcast, but uh, hopefully I don't butcher this too bad. But normally in a wheat crop, you harvest the wheat crop and then that wheat crop has to dry out. For about a month, a certain period of time, uh, before it can be uh, processed and and basically processed into grain, so they found that if you sprayed glyphosate on the wheat as a desiccant, it dried out the the dried out the, the wheat in like a week instead of a month. So then what they did is they started harvesting two crops a year instead of one because it eliminated the amount of time that they had to. Uh, wait for the wheat to dry out. So they could get two crops in the ground instead of one. But to do that, they had to use heavy fertilizers, but they also had to use uh, they also had to, to harvest the wheat a little bit prematurely. And when you harvest wheat immaturely, it throws off the gluten to fiber ratio. So there's suddenly more gluten in the wheat and less fiber. And that also has an exacerbation on inflammation when humans eat that. So the combo of Roundup and the gliadin protein is a recipe for digestive inflammation. For example, uh, gliadin and casein, you may have heard of casein protein. Uh, Casein protein was touted as the slow digesting protein in the bodybuilding world, okay? So uh, casein protein is derived, it's the other amino acid besides whey protein that's in milk. And so casein protein is slow digesting, just like gluten. Why is it slow digesting and why is that not a good thing? Well, that just means it's hard to break down in the gut and that's why it's a slow digesting protein. And any bodybuilder will tell you, oh my gosh, casein made me so gassy and bloated. (laughs) Well, the reason why is, is because it's really hard for the gut to break down and gliadin is the same way. So you combine that with something that's sprayed heavily with a pesticide like Roundup, and it's a recipe to cause digestive inflammation. On top of that, stress, our modern lifestyles are full of stress, that exacerbates leaky gut, aka intestinal permeability. So you have this combination of glyphosate and Roundup, the gliadin protein, which is already pretty hard to digest, but not horrible by itself, right? And then the modern stress causes leaky gut, which is basically intestinal permeability where your gut lining now is letting whole food particles or whole amino acid strands into the blood, which by the way, letting whole amino acids into the blood through the gut lining triggers the immune system because the immune system says, whoa, we've got Weird proteins suddenly entering into our bloodstream raise white blood cell account, raise the immune system, okay, attack the invader. well, over a chronic period of time, you know what this leads to? Autoimmunity. so autoimmune disorders are are driven by an overactive immune system. It basically becomes like a trigger happy immune system that starts firing. At anything and everything that moves so the next thing you know you've got rheumatoid arthritis or you've got Hashimoto's disease thyroiditis or you know any of these Crohn's colitis uh, lupus you know any of these can be traced back to an autoimmune disease or they are autoimmune diseases but they can all be traced back to leaky gut and don't take my word for it if you're questioning this in any shape or form just research leaky gut correlation to autoimmune disorders okay my point is the MyPlate government uh, recommendations—they recommend six to eight servings per day of whole grains, okay, or just grains. Period. Now, the reason I want to harp on this for for a second is forty percent of the country is obese. Another thirty percent on top of that is pre-diabetic. So there's 40% of the country is obese and diabetic, and then another 30% are pre-diabetic on their way to be obese and diabetic. And you can literally trace this back to when the ADA uh, and the the governmental recommendations started recommending large portions of grains in in a, a staple of an American diet. So, if you haven't listened to one of my very first episodes, it's called, it's called The Two Biggest Factors in Obesity. Really interesting history on the steel roller mill and how they were able to pulverize grains into powder and refine flour, and also the sugar industry. I mean, go back and listen to that episode. It's a fascinating history on. Uh, the correlation between obesity and, and the steel roller mill invention in the 1970s. You can just see from then on a graph, obesity skyrockets when we started producing refined flour and sugar. So my point, the bottom line, everyone should be concerned of their levels of inflammation, And also their their personal triggers to inflammation, whether it could be stress, it could be gluten, it could be dairy, it could be alcohol, it could be eggs, it could be almonds, it could be any of these top offenders. Um, For me, it was like too much tomatoes would even exacerbate inflammation, right? A seemingly good food, but I'm I'm a very acidic individual. And so too much acidity throws me out of balance. I need more alkaline. So Again, that's just me though. I wouldn't advocate that to my clients or anything. So we have to be self aware. Uh, it annoys me so much. Like the women that I train are so self aware. Like, how's your digestion? Oh, well, my digestion's pretty good, but I struggle with this and I struggle with that. You ask a guy about digestion or his sleep. Oh, I sleep pretty good. I got, I got good digestion. Well, I can tell you that most guys don't have good digestion. How do I know that? Because I go in guys' bathrooms, and I see how they absolutely and utterly destroy the porcelain um, with (laughs) how they use the restroom. So not to get graphic, but my point is that we have to be self-aware. And we have to um, pay attention to the signals that our bodies are sending us. And this means that if we take on a gluten-free diet for 30 days in an elimination diet, pay attention to how your body feels. Even if you have to do a food journal, write it down. Write down um, how your how you woke up, how your uh, if your joints are swollen at all, um, your digestion, your bowel movements. What are the consistency? What's the color? I mean, I know that's gross, but it's like it's real talk. Like we have to be aware of these things and not just completely oblivious. Um, just not paying attention basically. So if you don't have perfect digestion, you might want to try a gluten-free diet. If you don't have the perfect body fat percentage, you're not to where your goals are at. You might want to try a gluten-free diet. If you don't have proper hormones, that's huge. Uh, inflammation exacerbates hormone production. Then you might want to try a gluten-free diet. Uh, If you have any of those top five symptoms, brain fog, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, digestive dysfunction, joint pain, any of those top five, you might want to try a gluten-free diet for 30 days, eliminate it, add it back in, uh, see how you feel, see if if that triggers anything. And and bottom line is, too, is like gluten-free is easy nowadays. It was harder five years ago whenever I started, well, seven years ago but it was harder back then but it's gotten so easy now there's so many alternatives and so many ways to avoid it um and not feel deprived that uh, it's not a big sacrifice and guess what like here's one of the top benefits i'm i'm going a little bit over folks we're going 21 minutes so hang with me but one of the top benefits that i found is that uh, because i know i feel so good without gluten it makes it so much easier to avoid the chocolate chip cookies when they're laying around or the pies and cakes and different stuff because I'm just not tempted by it because I know that it's just going to raise my inflammation. So therefore it helps me to stay away from it. And And I, I'm going to be honest, when my friends make me special like gluten-free cookies and gluten-free brownies, I partake in that stuff because it is a treat for me and they're showing me love by thinking of me in that regard. So Uh, My point is not like the, it it just makes it easier to avoid some of the things we probably should be limiting in our daily lives anyway. So look, if you like what you're hearing, any of those three ways that you want to support the show, either whether it's my Google review, my Facebook review, or the podcast player that you're using review, leave me a review. That helps me out tremendously. The time that I put into this helps people find me and find the show. So thank you for listening to this last 22 and a half minutes. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you have any questions about gluten sensitivity, DM me, reach out to me, message me, email me, find me on my website, musclesandveggies.com. I hope you have a wonderful day.